Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. I hope you're well. I'm still hanging in there, obviously. My mom asked if I was still having fun making this podcast, and yes, yes I am. When it's not fun anymore, well, I'm having a hard time thinking of when that will be. I may reach a point where I have to make fewer episodes each week, but so far I can't imagine stopping it altogether. Anyway, today's play is Another Tragedy by Euripides, Andromache. That name should sound familiar to you from the Iliad. She's Hector, Hector's wife, or at least she was. This play takes place after the Trojan War has ended, and, well, we already have seen what happened to Hector during the war. The play premiered around 426 BCE. As a refresher, that means it premiered in the midst of the Peloponnesian War, and as a further refresher, that's the war that was fought between Athens and Sparta. So we have a play about the aftermath of a war that was written and therefore likely colored by a current war, or, you know, current at the time it was written. As with all of Euripides' plays, you should have no problem finding a decent translation for free online. I'm working from the John Davy translation from 1998, and I have to keep rereading that date because that doesn't seem possible. Um, but then I remember that I declared my classics major at the end of my sophomore year, so this translation does predate the majority of my classics classes, um, if only by a year. Um, yeah, <laughs> anyway, Davy's translation is fine, uh, but I do wish that he'd written it in poetry instead of prose. And that's, that's frequently a debate that translators have with themselves. Um, I generally prefer it if they opt to maintain the poetry of the source material, but sometimes that makes it too hard to stay true to the original language. Um, so there's always a trade-off uh, whether you do it in poetry or prose. Um, so Davy is fine, um, just not my favorite. Uh, anyway. The play is set in Thessaly, outside of the Palace of Neoptolemus, another name that should sound familiar to you. Uh, now, you would think that he's a character in this play, but he's not. He is away from home for the entire span of the story. Most of the characters should also be familiar to you from other plays that we've read and from the Iliad. Uh, there is, of course, Andromache, our title character, the widow of Hector, who is now enslaved by Neoptolemus, the son of Achilles. And we have Hermione, the daughter of Menelaus and wife to Neoptolemus. Um, if you've read ahead for this week's Odyssey episode, then you've already seen their wedding. Um, and no, her name, her last name is not Granger, um, <laughs> even though that is obviously who Hermione Granger is named after. Menelaus, too, plays a large role in this play, as does Peleus, the father of Achilles. And Thetis, the mother of Achilles, also. Um, and the final named character is Orestes, whose story we've seen told by both Aeschylus and Sophocles. Um, in case you've forgotten all of the family connections, um, as the son of Agamemnon, Orestes is the nephew of Menelaus and therefore cousin to Hermione. And there are the usual assortment of servants with a few lines and a child of Andromache and Neoptolemus who is unnamed in my translation but may be named Molossus in yours. Um, and the chorus is comprised of the women of Thea, which is the specific part of Thessaly in which Neoptolemus's palace is located. Um, and that's Thea, P-H-T-H-I-A. So um, Thessaly's a lot easier to <laughs> say than Thea, so... Yeah, I'll probably be saying Thessaly instead. <laughs> anyway, most of the background mythology is presented in the prologue, so we'll take a short break here before getting into the plot. 
The play opens outside of the palace of Neoptolemus in Thessaly. The only other set piece is a shrine to Thetis, which makes sense since she's Neoptolemus's grandma. I mean, if there's one god you should make sure you have a shrine to, it's your grandmother, right? Anyway, we find Andromache sitting by the shrine, mourning everything that has happened in her life. She provides a recap in case you've forgotten. Achilles killed her husband Hector. Uh, Their son Astyanax was hurled from the city walls after Troy was captured. She was captured and enslaved, and now she lives in this house that was once home to Thetis and Peleus and now belongs to their grandson Neoptolemus. And it was in this house that her son, who is unnamed in this play, was conceived and born. His father is Neoptolemus. At first, This gave her some status in the household, but then he married Hermione, the daughter of Menelaus. Neoptolemus' wife um, has not taken kindly to the presence of his concubine and her child, especially since the married couple still has no children of their own. Hermione has even gone so far as to ask her father to come and help her with this problem slave who she blames for all of her troubles. He is now in the palace and Andromache fears uh, what father and daughter may be plotting. To keep her son safe, Andromache has secretly sent him away. She would ask Neoptolemus for help, but he's at Delphi right now. A maid enters. She calls Andromache my lady, telling her that she remains true to the princess she remembers from Troy, and she comes with a warning. Menelaus and Hermione are up to no good. Andromache replies tenderly that they are both slaves now and of equal status, and then she asks what is being plotted against her. The death of her son. Menelaus has found out where the boy has been hidden and has left to fetch him. Andromache asks about Peleus. Surely he is coming to protect his great-grandson. The maid scoffs at the idea that anyone would take orders from Andromache anymore and carry a message to the old man. Andromache asks if the maid is brave enough to take on that role, which of course she is, and the maid exits and Andromache continues her lament. The chorus enters. They are as helpful as any other Greek chorus. Uh, They first tell Andromache that even though she's a barbarian from Troy, they still feel for her. Then they tell her that there's no way that she, a barbarian from Troy, can stand up to a proper Greek like Hermione, so she might as well leave the shrine and submit to whatever comes her way. They're exactly the people you want as friends when you fear for your life and the life of your child. Hermione enters. The first thing she does is point to her crown and say that she's the queen here. And then she pulls no punches in reminding Andromache of how far she has fallen. And just to make it clear how she feels about barbarians, she gives a litany of barbarian practices, including multiple descriptions of incest. And then she says that a man should have only one woman. And if he wants to main, if he wants to maintain, I'm going to try to say that again. If he wants to maintain peace in his home, right? Um, which isn't exactly Andromache's fault. Uh, wouldn't that be Neoptolemus's fault that he got married and kept a concubine? Anyway, um, Hermione should be blaming Neoptolemus for the fact that he brought home a wife when he had a concubine at home. Um, but nonetheless, she blames Andromache for that. And not that Andromache takes any of this abuse lying down. She points out that she's just a slave and has no status in this house. And it's not her fault that Hermione is an insufferable witch. Uh, Maybe if Hermione were a nicer person, her husband would want to spend more time with her. After all, beauty is only skin deep. It's what's on the inside that men fall for. Which is a pretty progressive statement, all things considered. I mean, it 
doesn't exactly pass the Bechdel test, but for 2,400 years ago, not bad. And maybe that's the part of the speech to dwell on, because then she goes on to say that she never got mad when Hector slept around, and she even treated his children by other women as though they were her own. I mean, yeah, it's better than the alternative, but Andromache does get a bit holier than thou in this scene. The two women argue. Hermione says that Andromache will get no protection from Thetis. Thetis hates Trojans because Troy is where Achilles died. And Andromache responds that it's Helen's fault that Achilles died and Helen is Hermione's mother. So ultimately, Andromache says that she will not leave the altar. If Hermione and Menelaus mean to kill her, they'll have to spill her blood there. Hermione exits in a huff, saying that she'll see Andromache dead before Neoptolemus returns to rescue her. The chorus, continuing to be super helpful, then sings about how Paris should have been killed as a baby because then none of this would ever have come to pass. Menelaus enters with his attendants and Andromache's son. He is an ass, um, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Menelaus, not the child, of course. Um, he tells Andromache that she thought she was so smart, but she wasn't as smart as Menelaus. Yes, um, he actually does refer to himself in the third person. Um, <laughs> then he tells her that she has a choice. Either she leaves the shrine or he kills her son. And Andromache tries to reason with him. Um, well, after she hurls the delightful insult that Troy deserved a better conqueror than him. <laughs> uh, Menelaus is not swayed. Andromache cries out about how she has done nothing to deserve this treatment, or if she has done something, then Neoptolemus deserves the same fate as he is also to blame. But she eventually concedes, telling her son that she is going to die so that he won't have to. Um, the chorus is touched by this and tells Menelaus that maybe he should let her go. He says no. Oh, and the boy? He'll let Hermione decide if the boy will live or die. Andromache wails and Menelaus gloats. Then he drags them off. The chorus sings a short song that's enough time for a, well, it's not exactly a costume change, but it's a, at least a prop change. Menelaus brings them back on, but now Andromache and her son are in chains. Like I said, it's not exactly a costume change, but they do need to deal with some props. <laughs> Mother and son sing a lament together and try to convince Menelaus to spare them. He refuses. Peleus and a servant enter. He is appalled to see that Andromache and her son are in chains. He asks what she has done to be treated less, and she explains the plot to kill her and her son. Peleus tells Menelaus to release them. Menelaus argues that they are his to do with as he pleases because he won Andromache in the war. Peleus points out that he gave her to Neoptolemus. Menelaus argues that this means she belongs to both of them. Peleus says only if he's going to treat her well and that he has no right to hurt or kill her. Menelaus still refuses to let her go. Peleus then lays into Menelaus. He never wanted Neoptolemus to marry Hermione in the first place. After all, you can't trust anyone from Sparta, not even women. The two men continue to argue, and Peleus tells Menelaus to take his daughter, whom he describes so kindly as a barren heifer and go back to Sparta. He releases Andromache and tells the boy that he'll look over him until he grows to be an enemy that Sparta will regret having made. Menelaus grumbles something about a war fomenting between Sparta and a neighboring city and uses that as an excuse for why he can't stay in Thessaly any longer. He exits. Andromache thanks Peleus for the rescue and states her worries that this is not the end. Peleus scoffs. 
He may be old, but he will still make sure that she and the boy are safe. They exit. The chorus sings a short song about how it's good to be born into money, and <laughs> not much has changed since that was written. Hermione's nurse enters from the palace. She tells the chorus that Hermione is having second thoughts about murdering Andromache and the boy. Instead, she's decided to kill herself. The nurse has been working the suicide watch, but she's tired and needs the chorus to help. Hermione enters, which is useful because then the chorus doesn't need to exit. Uh, she speaks of her distress, and the nurse tries to talk her down. The nurse reminds Hermione that she is Greek. There is no way her Greek husband will put her aside for a barbarian slave. She should go back inside. People are going to start talking if she keeps behaving this way in public. But before they get a chance to exit, Orestes enters. Hermione is overjoyed to see him. She begs him to take her away with him. He asks why. She explains how she'd planned to kill Andromache and the boy and that she fears what Neoptolemus will do when he finds out, even though she's changed her mind and decided not to do it. After a bit of debate and discussion, Orestes agrees, and they exit. The chorus sings about all of the people who were killed as a result of the Trojan War. Peleus enters, accompanied by Andromache and the boy, but they are no longer played by actors. Um, remember, there are only three actors in each scene, uh, and there will be two other people speaking in the scene, so... Uh, so we have the, the costumes and the masks, but it's not the actors playing, playing these characters anymore. Peleus asks the chorus if it is true that Hermione has fled, and if so, why? The chorus explains, including a part I left out when I described the exchange between Orestes and Hermione. Orestes intends to kill Neoptolemus. Peleus yells for one of the servants to rush to Delphi to let his grandson know but it's too late. A messenger enters with news of how Orestes convinced the men of Delphi and some friends from Mycenae to kill Neoptolemus. Peleus wails and cries and laments the death of his grandson. And the only thing that stops him is Thetis arriving via Euripides' favorite deus ex machina. <laughs> she starts by reminding Peleus about the fling that they had however many years ago. Then she says that she'll take care of everything. Andromache and the boy will move to Melosia. Andromache will marry Helenus, and the boy will one day become king of Melosia. And through this, the kingdoms of Troy and Greece will be united, and it will all be good. And once Peleus has seen that Neoptolemus receives proper burial in Delphi, she will grant him divinity so that they can live together forever, along with the immortal remains of their son Achilles. Peleus and Thetis exit. The chorus shrugs and says, all's well that ends well, and the play ends. This is another tragedy that might best be deemed a problem play. It ends with a wedding, sort of, but it also ends with a murder, um, but it is definitely an interesting study of the status of women in history. We have two princesses, Andromache and Hermione, um, but one has lost that status. Now, because Andromache is a woman, she survives the war. If she'd been a man, she would have been killed. Even Astyanax, who you should remember as a baby in the Iliad, remember the cute scene when he gets scared because Hector has his helmet on? That baby, right? He's killed after Troy falls. He's still a baby. Or a toddler, at least, you know. Um, but as a woman, Andromache is spared death. 
um, she's enslaved instead of being killed, which is a mixed blessing. I mean, uh, yeah, right? Um, But on the other hand, we have Hermione, and she still has her status except for one little thing, which is that she can't have children. Now, the myth tells us that this is because there's a curse on her family, um, stemming in part from Helen running away with Paris. So they are now, you know, Menelaus and, and Helen were able to have have um, Hermione, but no other children, and the line ends there, right? Um, so Hermione can't have children because of this curse from her mother. But it, the cause doesn't matter. Hermione is still the one who's not getting pregnant. Um, that we always see, you know, it could be that man has low sperm count, but it still is the woman's fault that they don't have a baby. Um, it's wrong, but that's still something that, that we feel and see today. Um, it's not as bad as it was, but depending on where you live. Anyway, um, there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason that I mentioned Claire Booth Luce in the title of this episode. And for those of you who don't remember who she is, please Google her. Oh, she is insanely quotable. Um, and and this is not a podcast about her, so I, I cannot just read you all of the delightful things that she had to say. But given that this episode is dropping in September of an election year in the U.S., I can't resist sharing this one. Um, there aren't many women now I'd like to see as president, but there are fewer men. <laughs> but I digress. Claire Booth Luce also wrote the play The Women, um, which is famous for being particularly catty. Uh, the movie version is, the original movie, I haven't seen the new one. Um, the original movie is pretty good. If you can see a stage production of it, th- that's even better. Because um, some some really good stuff Really good things got cut uh, when it made the transition from stage to screen. Um, but the the exchange between Hermione and Andromache at the beginning of the play, I, as I was reading that, all I could think of was the women and seriously, Claire Booth Luce could have written that scene. Um, anyway, um, it's it's hard to know much about Hermione because most of what we know about her comes from this play. Um, yeah, there's a brief glimpse of her in the Odyssey, um, but whereas most mythology has multiple sources, so we can get well-rounded concepts of who these characters might be, um, this is this is what we have. This is the only picture we have of Hermione. So, so it does leave us with the question, is this how other sources might have portrayed her if, if they still existed, if they had survived the centuries? But the topic that I really want to focus on with this play is xenophobia. We see it blatantly in how Hermione and Menelaus speak to Andromache. Um, But it's also interesting to note that they are from Sparta, and this play was written while Athens and Sparta were at war. So the portrayal of these two characters also shows xenophobia on the part of the playwright in the audience. Um, No one from Athens would treat foreigners this way. No, no, no one from Athens would do that. Well, I mean, unless somebody from Sparta, because you know what those Spartans are like, right? So the play simultaneously shows how idiotic xenophobia is while playing into xenophobic stereotypes held about Spartans. Um, Yeah, shoom on that for a little bit. There is, of course, more that we could talk about, especially um, on the topic of property, the whole exchange with Peleus and Menelaus about um, basically owning Andromache. It's, yeah. 
Um, but I'll leave that for the blog. We can talk about it over there. Please, please do come and share your thoughts. Uh, the link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we'll see a little bit more of Hermione and a lot more of Menelaus in book four of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.